Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm not writing. For those of you who might be paying attention to Rough Trade, I I don't know. Um, it's a thing. I have it all plotted out. I'm just I'm um, I got my database and I picked out some new names to kill and I just haven't done it. But I have been reading a lot of NCIS fan fiction. For those of you who listen to my podcast, you might remember me telling the NCIS fandom that they were really immature. But I didn't. Um, but that I probably shouldn't. You know, they probably shouldn't assume I'm talking about them because I hadn't read any of their fan fiction anyway. I've read their fan fiction now. I've read lots of fan fiction and sweethearts, sweethearts. Um, two things: formatting is a thing. And two characters cannot share dialogue in the same fucking paragraph. I could not be more serious. You can't put one character's dialogue on one on, on the beginning of your paragraph and the other character's dialogue on the end of the paragraph. That is utterly wrong. Terrible, no good, bad, do not do it. It is the worst thing you can do. It is distracting to the reader. It is grammatically incorrect. And it's infuriating. To writers, it makes me batshit. I want to stab people. But I love you guys. I love you. This is some tough love. Fucking learn your dialogue mechanics. It is my biggest pet peeve. It is the biggest thing. It drives me fucking bonkers. I... Come on now. Help me out. Help a bitch out. Help a bitch out. Stop doing that shit. It's really annoying. Two characters. Put it in your Write it down on a post-it note. Stick it on your monitor. Two characters cannot share dialogue in the same paragraph. Period. Not even if they're discussing the same thing. A character always, always, always gets their own paragraph when they're speaking. Additionally, if your character is speaking in multiple paragraphs, you don't close quote on the end of the first paragraph, but you do open quote on the next paragraph. Third paragraph, you don't close on the second, but you do open on the third. You don't close the um, dialogue until the very last sentence of their fucking um monologue that you've just created for them that's five paragraphs long. But each paragraph needs an open quote at the beginning of the paragraph. <clears throat> Anyways, that's just my little um pet peeve out into the out into the great beyond. Um <clears throat> um I'm still working on a headache. I I, I still got that going on. Um but yeah, yeah. Just Come on, people, work with us here. Work with us. And sometimes I'll look at that and I think to myself, do you even read? Are you reading books? Are you reading anybody else's fan fiction? I don't understand why you why you keep doing this. I don't understand. I don't get it. Help a bitch out. Not really. I don't want you to email me and tell me why you do it. I don't because it's wrong and I don't want to hear your excuses. I really do not. I'm not suggesting that you have to run out and buy the Chicago Style Manual. I know that shit's expensive, and if you're not pursuing a professional um, career, there's no need for that. But the Elements of Style is free online in a PDF. You don't have to do, you know, come on now. It's free. 
There's a PDF of it actually on the Rough Trade Forum. It is free. <sighs> Elements of Style. It's wonderful. It is. I have a copy of the Elements of Style in my um, my um, my bag. I'm currently carrying um, what you call it, the handbag of holding from um, Geek. What is that? Bloody older geek, geek something. Um, I have the handbag of holding, and it has all my stuff in it, and it has a copy of the Elements of Style. I carry it with me everywhere I go. It's like my um, my good luck charm or something. I don't know. Anyway, I've, I've, I've carried it since um, college. Um, I've gone through several copies of the book, but it's still it's still there. Elements of Style. Think Geek. Yes, I, I got the bag of holding from Think Bink, Think Geek, and I have the black leather one, and I love it. Um, a couple months ago, Lady Holder sent me a picture of herself shopping in Walmart, um, and she had her handbag of holding and she'd put something to take a picture of on the handbag of holding. Um, and I was like, why does she have my purse? <laughs> yes, stunk and strunk, stunk, strunk and white. Um, for the um, elements of style, and it really is literally online as a PDF, and there is a copy of it in um, the Rough Trade Forum. Um, so you don't have to go out and buy a Chicago Style Manual unless you're pursuing professional publication. And if you are, um, you can get used copies on Amazon really cheap or on eBay. You don't have to buy the newest brand edition for um, for the kind of um, help you need. New editions are for people who are actively working in um, journalism and but mostly, mostly more importantly, tech writing. Um, so you don't need a brand new edition of, of the Chicago Style Manual to, um, to get you through your manuscript. Uh, but I do recommend you get one if you are pursuing professional publication. Totally just get one. Um I think mine's the 15th edition. I don't have a new one. I don't have any need for a new one. Anyways, um, tonight's question comes from Tabby. And Tabby asks, I've been thinking a lot about the amount of time that goes into writing. Could you talk a little bit about how long it takes you to get from an original idea to planning, research, plotting, writing, editing, then posting slash publishing? I'm more interested in a fanfic answer, but a professional writing perspective would be neat too. Also, how do you balance multiple stories at once? Okay. Um, I might have to answer that second question, like, in another in another um, podcast. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, <clears throat> for me, because I am a plotter and I am a planner, I like to um, – after I've established uh, – After I have my idea, and don't ask me how I get my ideas, I don't know. They just happen. They just bloom in my head like a flower. So after I pluck my flower, my idea, and I've got it all spread out um, mentally, I start picking apart the elements, and I have to decide um, if it's a fan fiction product project, and it, you know, most often it is, is, is these days because I'm just um, retreated mentally into fandom, and I may or may not ever leave. I don't know. Anyways, 
um, it's it's a uh, if it's fandom, I need to decide what I'm going to do with it. And most often, I write an alternate universe because I am totally within my rights to make canon my bitch. Um, and uh, I need a backpack of holding too. Well, no, I don't have a backpack of holding. Oh my gosh, they have a backpack of holding. I feel cheated. Anyways, um, I need to take my money and give me my bag. <laughs> um, so after I have my ideas spread out on what I'm going to do with my characters and how I'm going to handle, um, oh, it's fifty bucks. Um. The handbag of holding on Think Geek is fifty dollars. Is it leather? It better be leather. No, it's canvas. Oh no. I don't like it. I, I I really do like my handbag of holding. It's it's awesome. I highly recommend it. Okay, so back to the spread of my idea. I spread my idea out mentally and I determine um uh what I want to do with it. And, um, like, you know, for instance, and you guys have heard me plot literally from a basic concept online. Um, you've seen me do that. You've, well, you've heard me do that, um, on my podcast and you've heard Jilly do it and you've heard Lady Holder do it. And we all do it a little bit differently. <sighs> oh, there's another one. I have a, I have a, I have a leather fetish. It was 129. Oh, ouch. I hurt my feelings. I hate when you see a bag and they don't give you an interior shot, like a real genuine interior shot. There is for this, but I feel like I'm cheated already because I don't see a, I don't see a um, laptop sleeve in there, and that's annoying. But anyways, you guys don't want to hear that on my podcast. I'll I'll shop later. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so I spread my idea out and I pick out my elements and I decide. Um, who the central characters are going to be uh, in my work and uh, what research, if any, if I have to do. And in fandom, it really greatly depends on how AU my AU is going to be. Um, for instance, with my current project um, that I'm that I'm working on, I'm going to hold my coffee, I did spend an enormous amount of time looking at restaurants in Colorado trying to pick out one for the date. <laughs> But that's a that's an entirely different uh uh bailiwick there. And also, did you know that there's like literally um nowhere to get gas within fifty miles of area fifty one? And like one restaurant and one half ass motel that's more like a no tell motel. I I don't that's some bizarre shit. No wonder people are so convinced <coughs> they're up to shit out there. They have one hotel, um, motel, no-tell, and it's mobile homes um, in, in Rachel, Nevada, right? And they used to have a gas station, but not anymore. Um, and the hotel, motel, trailer park thing has a smallish restaurant, Um and then you have to like literally drive an hour in um to 
towards Vegas to get any kind of decent meal. There's not even a grocery store there. I don't... It is bizarre. It is really bizarre. Jeep has been to the mobile park slash the the mobile home um, hotel. It says the burgers are very good and the cake was excellent. So there you go. If you ever go to Rachel, Nevada... You can get a burger and some cake, but you can't get gas, so get gas before you get there. (laughs) They'll let you park for free in the cow field if you're in your RV. The things you learn, really, the things you learn. And also, I went over there with Google Earth, and that was probably a mistake. I'm, I'm probably on some watch list now, having looked at Area 51 through Google Earth, um, sort of. Mostly Rachel, Nevada. Although they really can't not be anything out there, but there really is nothing out there but that hotel. And some cows, I guess. <laughs> I mean, are, th- are there cows in the cow field? <laughs> Or is it just a really old cow film? Okay, there are cows in the cow film. So that's something. Whenever I say the word cow, I'm immediately reminded of that scene in Twister where she goes, I have to go. We have cows. (laughs) Anyways. Anyways. So, back to the idea. If I am... have to do a lot of research. I can spend anywhere from seven to ten days just on the research phase. And the research phase often doesn't even include the amount of reading I would have to do. Like when I when I was originally planning um synthetic, I uh I had to read a lot of articles on um uh space travel, um colonies on different planets, you know, and uh, propulsion systems, and um, just, you would be amazed the shit that I looked up, uh, and um, it it took between, I don't know, five or six days to make a book list of books that I wanted to um, get through uh, before I started writing. So, I read um, eight books um for synthetic and they range from uh uh politics um space exploration um the history of nasa uh, uh biomechanics uh i i just <laughs> i read a lot of shit and you'd be like why why did you bother reading that i don't know i need context even if it never shows up in the work i still need the context um <clears throat> i read a lot of articles on um biomechanics and um robotics and artificial intelligence um i read um uh philosophy on the human soul um and um yeah, yeah. 
I read a lot. Uh, so after my reading, so I so so I'm gathering material four to five days, maybe six, depending on the um, how complicated the project is. Um, I usually allot myself um, three weeks to read if I'm going to be doing um, a project that requires a lot of build, uh, and that includes character building, world building. Um, and uh, plotting. So, I, so, if, so if I have to do all of that, I'm going to give myself two or three weeks to read. And for those of you who are more familiar with me, um, you were on the fringes of me reading, building up to synthetic, and I was talking about the books I was reading on my podcast, and um, uh, I'm picking out a planet for uh, to, um, um, to go to, and... Um, I made a list of reasons why they couldn't go to Mars because that was going to come up, and you know it was just it was it was a lot of work that I, that I had to do, um, building up to that because I needed to have a foundation mentally for what they were going to experience, whether it showed up uh, in the wordage of my work or not, and it and it really it's it's more about the feeling that you get when you're writing and the feeling that you create for your reader. Um, and, the, and the more you know about the background of your material, um, the more that feeling will, will appear for your reader. It, um, it's manifested through your uh, ease of writing. And the more and the bigger your foundation is, the stronger your foundation is, the easier it will be for you to write. So I spent five months prep four or five months prepping for synthetic, which is shitty because I I crashed and burned. And that happens. I mean I mean you can you can go, 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 go and then crash and burn. And you know, oh all that work down the drain, but it's not really down the drain. I'm still kind of percolating on synthetic and what I'm going to do with it. Um, so after my reading phase, four, five, six weeks, depending on how much work I have um, done. So I've, I've done my gathering, my reading. So I'm up to six weeks or so, depending on how much content I've got. Um, I usually give myself um, four or five days to do a mini plot. And a mini plot is basically... Um, the overall arc of of the work, the beginning, the middle, and the end, um, and I outline where my falling action is going to be, where my momentum is going to start. Um, <laughs> and of course, my climax, and then I, after I have done my mini plot, which is usually, I don't know, ten total plot points, um, four five, maybe six before the climax, the climax, and then three or four after the climax, you know, just depending on the content and and what I'm going to be doing. So say I've done my 10-point plot arc, the the, the mini plot. So at this point, I have a rough idea of um, the, the characters I'm going to use. And, uh, I make a character list. And then I, if if I have to use characters I'm not familiar with, that I haven't spent a lot of time with, um, I do a full bio. But 
and it really depends. Like, if I'm going to do John and Rodney, I'm very familiar with the characters. I'm very familiar with my headcanon of the characters. I'm going to tweak them a little bit for the AU. I'm going to twist them a little bit. John's going to be a Marine, or John's going to be a scientist, or just, you know, just kind of just twist it a little bit. Not a lot, because if you, because if you twist it too much, you, you go towards original character versus fandom character, which is, you know. So... You make a list of your main characters and you go through your profiles and make sure you have everything ready to go. So you give so so your mini plot took about a week, maybe less, depending on um, how much time you had to give to it. So we're up to what eight nine weeks, depending on again the project. Um, so your mini plot and your characters, um, you've made your character list, you've you've gone through. Now I start my main plot document, and I outline um, um, usually by chapter. Um, so if I give myself 20 chapters, like this event happens here, here, here. And uh, so I take my mini arc and I separate it out into three, m- my mini plot. And I separate it out into three arcs. And those three arcs are my beginning, my middle, and my end. And then I plot my beginning, then I plot my middle, then I plot my end. Uh, then I put it all together. And that is my... Um, my, I guess what you would call a physical plot, it's a list of events that happen. This is your external motivation for your character. Your external motivation is always the plot events that impact their life. Those are your external motivation points. For me. How do I decide how many chapters? It honestly depends on how complicated the story is. Like if, um, you know, like when it came to Dr. Lowell, I I knew that I had um, basically two stories to tell in, in Dr. Lowell. I had the future they had to let go of. Well, their past. I had to. There there was a timeline that they had to let go of. And in order to let go of it, they had to explore it. So you learned about the life they had before they went back in time through a series of scenes and discussions and that was its own separate plot arc uh, that I wrote to blend into the main plot so that you would as a reader get background on my characters and how they came together and how they became um, a triad so that was super important to get that background in to give you a foundation of the thing is, is that if you took Darkly Lull and you took out all their motivation from future from events in the other timeline, they would be evil, twisted little bitches. So you so you had to give them context. You had to give their actions. So I had to give their actions context. I had to give their actions and their desperation a foundation that was, while not entirely reasonable, is understandable. Because otherwise, um, when you write an anti-hero, which is what um, Dracula Lowell is, it's it's they're all basically anti-heroes. Um, to write a good one, you have to give them um, motivation, clear a clear path to where they to where they finally ended up. Their past has to have um, immense impact on the story. 
you you have if you want your reader to identify with them, you really have to dig deep and make sure that they not only identify with them, that in some circumstances they even sympathize with them, which is why all of my readers on Dr. Loyal are like in the back of their minds thinking, oh my God, they've killed 40 people and I don't care. <laughs> and in some cases you might do a little celebrate dance. You can tell me I did some little fist pumping myself <laughs> depending on who was dying and who did it. <laughs> I'm totally team winky at this point. Um but so it these these moments have to be put in your plot. And that's where your internal motivations come from. <clears throat> you in order to give your character, um, to, you know, to flesh your character out, you have to put a lot of effort into their internal motivations and how your external plot points impact those internal motivations. Because while, yes, the Harry from the future <coughs> was angry and he was bitter about how he'd been treated by the people of Britain, he had a breaking point. And he says it point blank to, 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 to Draco before they go back in time. You know, do you remember when you asked me what would be my breaking point? Well, we're here. We're here. We're here right now. This is this is this is the final straw. This is this is the this is the the last thing that I can accept and move on from. I I cannot go past this point. I am a hundred percent done. So having that kind of clear moment for for Harry was really important to me when I was writing Darkly Lowell, when I was plotting Darkly Lowell, because it was going to be told from his point of view one hundred percent of the time, because that was the challenge. So I wanted to make sure going into it that his motivations were really, really clear. If not to Draco and Hermione, they were very clear to himself. He knew exactly what he was going to do in that moment. He knew he exactly what he wanted and what needed to happen. And he pushed through it, even the sacrifice of Draco, which broke him a little. He still did it because it was... Re- it was his path, and he'd, he'd chosen this path, and he'd let other people for decades push him and push him and push him and keep him constantly on the defense. And then that moment came when he stopped defending, and he started an offensive strategy, and that offensive strategy but basically included killing every single person who'd ever done him wrong. And in order to give a character like that a a uh I don't want to say a positive perspective, but a perspective where your reader could sympathize, I had to make sure that the reader knew exactly what Harry had to sacrifice in the other timeline when 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 he went back in time. How much he lost, you know, not just his wife and his consort, but his child. Um, the peace, the careers, the life they were building, um, all of that was stripped away from them by other people's greed. 
and for reasons he wasn't fully aware of yet as well. So you can see, like, in these last chapters, you're seeing the the breadth of what they were up against and didn't even know it in the in their other timeline. And there's a moment, if you're reading, when, when Harry fucking loses it and realizes that Arthur Weasley is just as responsible for what happened to his to his child as Molly and he incinerates him with his magic he he just loses control he just not loses control he allows himself to let go and in that moment he stops being hairy and he becomes death in that moment when he is holding Arthur Weasley and Arthur Weasley disintegrates in the wash of his magic, he is not Harry Potter. He is death. And that was a big writing moment for me. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. I was really thrilled with myself when I got finished with that because sometimes you do. Um, and so planning those kinds of moments for me, um, I have to build. You know, I have to build, 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 um, and that's just how I do it. So, <clears throat> honestly, I couldn't tell you how long I planned Dr. Lowell. I didn't have to do a lot of research. Um, I had to research my rituals. I had to I had to dig in and, and do some, some research for for runes and um, and not so much research, but plan. I had to plan. I, I you see that notebook. If, if if anybody saw the notebook for Dr. Lowell, they would think I was a serial killer. Because not only do I plan all these murders, I also have a um a diagrams of their rituals. In, including the one where we ritually sacrifice Bellatrix. We. We. Um, so yeah, it's it's terrible. I could never let that out of my house because I would end up in FBI custody. Um, even though it was all fiction, I promise. It was all fiction. <laughs> So those almost have to be planned for for me. I, I'm, while I can pants, I'm perfectly capable of pantsing. You guys, if you've read my work, you've read examples of me pantsing. Um, Birth of the Birth of the Serpent King was pantsed, and that old black magic was pantsed. And I pantsed them both when I was broken. I broke my foot. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. And that's what happened. I got nothing. That's what happened. Um, those little shorts on the big short that we do on Rough Trade, those are pantsed. But for the most part, I I need to know where I'm going. I... I have to know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. And I honestly, you know, you can build, if you pants, you can build, um, you can back build um, your your nuances and your foreshadowing. And you, know, you can do all that in, in, in your second and third draft. And that's perfectly fine. That's, per- that's a perfectly legitimate way to do it. And uh, if you're pantsing, that's really honestly the only way to do it. Um, you, you have to go back, you know, because... Otherwise, um, one of my most favorite plot points that I've that I that I really worked on was the plot point in Phoenix, where um, eventually Harry makes 
the Phoenix Bracelet a family secret. Um, and this happens later in the narrative. Um, but the bracelet appears way before that. And there are moments when they are looking for information on the bracelet, and there's no information to be found. It's not in the um, journals. It's not in the hmm, it's not in the Potter the Family Potter Magic Book. Grimoire. I can't say that word. I can't say it. G R I M O I R E. I can't say that word. Anyway, it's not in that. Godric Gryffindor's um, portrait re- refuses outright refuses to discuss it. He just, he refuses to discuss it with Dumbledore and with Harry from the future. And Harry in the future had no idea why. Grimoire. Grimoire or Grim Grimoire. Grimoire. The G word. <laughs> you guys are giving me too many options. <laughs> Anyways. Grimoire. That one sounds more fun because I like to say the word war. I don't want to go to war, but I like to say the word. Um, <clears throat> so, when Harry makes it a secret and he accidentally passes it to his entire line past, present, and future. That's when the reader hopefully realized that the reason that no one could talk about it and the reason the bracelet was never mentioned in any of the journals and the grimoire is because it Harry had made it a secret. And so it, it had impacted his entire family line and their timeline um, no matter when he did it. Time is not linear. And that's something that will come out later in uh, in the story is that time is basically all happening at once. It all happens in an instant. Everything is happening at once. Um, it's a sphere, not a line. Uh, which is um a magical theory I developed on my own for my own benefit. I had read some time. Um, time travel stuff and how that works and um, I, I, I like the idea of, of time all happening at the same time um, um, that time is, is not a linear concept but um, that basically that you you're born you live and you die in the same instant and that instant lasts depending on who you are Decades. Anyways, <clears throat> in your mind, conceptually, because time is a social construct. Regardless, you got that's not the point of this podcast. Anyways, <clears throat> um, so synthetic five. I don't know, but maybe maybe total two to three months, I guess, really depending on if I count the essays and journal entries that I wrote as well. Um, And I don't often count the pre-writing as part of my plotting process. Um, Pre-writing is pre-writing. I have my planning, my plotting, my pre-writing. And and I only pre-write if I'm writing a a, a really alternate universe, like... um, there's some pre-writing for Ties That Bind. Um, there was pre-writing for Synthetic, of course. You guys have seen those if you were on my website when I was doing that. Um, there was um, 
there was a little bit of pre-writing for Sentinels of Atlantis, but not a lot. Uh, when it comes to Lantean Legacy, like the first book, no, no Enemy Within, I think the first draft might actually qualify as pre-writing. Because what I started with and what we ended up with are just like entirely different things. The bones are there. The bones in that first draft um, are there. But there's so many elements that are missing in that first draft that it really just basically qualifies as a big 30K synopsis (laughs) with some dialogue. (laughs) So, anyways. um, But it honestly, yeah, it honestly depends. I mean, I, um, I can, like, write a short story, um, start to finish with plot, and if I have to do any minor research, in about 10 days. And if I'm going to write a novel, uh, that can take anywhere from, like I said, again, depending on the circumstances, between um, two weeks to plan. Now, I've written a novel in a month. I don't recommend it. But I've done it. So it really just depends. I mean, if you can lay down 10K a day, which I have done in the past, I would not try to do that now. Um, that's just too much stress for one person. Um, grimoire. But let's just agree that nobody knows how to say it. Because there are too many options. Grimoire. So... Ties that bind, I wrote over a period of like a year and a half. Armor. So I can't say that word either. I am screwed. <clears throat> Anyways. Um, the last pro pod project I wrote was a contemporary erotic suspense. And from planting, from planning to writing, six months. And by writing, I mean that I wrote three drafts of the book. Well, in that, I wrote the first draft. I saved it. I made a copy of that file, went into it, and edited and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and added to and subtracted from. And then my second draft, and then I let that sit for a little bit, a couple days, and then I went back and made another copy of the file labeled it my third draft, went in and went to work. Finished it up. Did an edit. um, Did an alpha read. And it went from conceptual idea to sitting on my agent's desk in about seven-ish months. And then a year later it was published. (laughs) Because that's a whole different animal. Um... I haven't done a lot of plotting for uh, planning. I haven't done a lot of planning for Hold My Coffee. I have plot points for each episode um, that I'm that I'm that I'm working on um, as I as I go through um, because the first arc of Hold My Coffee will be just a prep to Atlantis and then going through the gate, kind of like how I opened up Sentinels of Atlantis, except for instead of telling a novella, I'm telling us um, a. Ten- 
<clears throat> I want to say 10 episode arc of um, Hold My Coffee for that. Um, and then I'll, if I feel like I, if I feel inspired, I'll do a second arc um, with them on Atlantis. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Ties That Bind, um, I wrote it, I planned and wrote and planned and wrote. And originally it was just one big giant novel. Um, I do mean giant. I mean, it was like 200K before I decided that, you know what, I probably should put this in a novella format. And um, um, so I had to rework it a little bit and um, reshape scenes and reshape beginnings and ends and and figure out how it was going to work um, and put it out as um, parts versus um, uh, a book because it was was just too big. Um, Originally, yeah, it was. Um, But that was... I had just finished most of the plot points for... They were already on Atlantis when I realized I probably needed to break it up. So some scenes got took out. Some scenes got put in. I rearranged them in novella format. Um, and uh, just just to work it through um, so that I would have a, um, <clears throat> a recognizable uh, episode arc for, for that. When it comes to Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, I had a um, moderately sized novel that I had finished a long time ago. A long, I pulled that damn thing off a floppy disk. Not like a giant floppy disk, but like the little floppy disk. The 3.5? That's not right. The little disk. The little square disk that go in the computer. Not the big giant square disk. The little ones. Because Harry Potter didn't exist when those big giant ones were out. So, yeah. 3.5, thank you. Um, so I had to pull that off, and then I um, kind of um, I took it apart and um, reworked it and got everything um, situated, and I replotted, and I, I went through some plot points, took some stuff out, put some stuff in. Um, yeah, five and a quarter of those big giant ones. I miss those. I play Oregon Trail on my computer. I loved Oregon Trail. Of course, I always died of dysentery, but I still loved it. But my wagon was fierce. <laughs> I always had plenty of fucking wagon wheels. <laughs> the rules for mixing wine and marijuana. Stock up with food before you start. Lock your house and hide your car keys. Don't watch anything fucked up on TV. <clears throat> okay. So, I hope I'm answering your question, Tabby. I don't think you're in the chat room. Um, but mostly, 
uh, it, it honestly really just depends on, on what you're writing because a lot of times you can get away with doing as little as no research depending on what you're writing. And if you're writing a character-driven piece that's set in a contemporary setting, what you might have to stop and look up a restaurant like I did with Hold My Coffee or um, whatever. Grass before beer, you're in the clear. Beer before grass, you're on your ass. Yeah, but does beer and wine, is that comparable, really? And what was that beer before liquor, never sicker? I will give you a piece of advice from my college days. Do not ever, under any circumstances, mix a dark liquor and a light liquor. Don't do it. You think you can handle bourbon and tequila on the same evening. But the chances of you actually succeeding at that are really slim. I know two people in my life who can drink bourbon and tequila, whiskey and vodka in the same six or seven hours and be and be okay. Like two people. I know two people who can do that. Nobody else. I know nobody else who can accomplish that. <laughs> Sugar is sweet, but liquor is quicker. That's so. That's actually really terrible when you think about it. But cute too. It's it, it's a cute saying, but it's terrible. I don't think it's really appropriate to mix anything with tequila. There's something about tequila. There are two kinds of people when it comes to tequila. To, to tequila, there are fighters and there are lovers, and you don't know what you're going to be until you get the tequila in you. If you are a lover, I think that you might have a problem with the weed. I think that really, if, you, if, if you're a fighter, that the weed might be beneficial because it's going to smooth you out, cool you down, cool you off. But I've never met anybody who didn't have a fight or flight response tequila. <laughs> the tequila is just... Me... I'm a fighter. I am a fighter. I will pick a fight with someone twice my size. You give me two, two, I don't know, maybe three shots of tequila, I'll pick the fight with the biggest person in the room. I, I don't care, male or female. I will assume I can whoop their ass whether I can or not. Just not a good idea. Yeah, fight or fuck response. Um, You know what, though? Like some some really lovey dovey tequila drinkers will actually like they don't want sex they they just want like happy kisses and and hugs and um a nap they don't want to fuck that's like a side shoot of the lover because they're really happy and pleased and they want everybody they want to kiss everybody and tell everybody how much they love them but they don't want to have sex with anybody. <laughs> They're too busy telling everybody in their bar they love them. <laughs> but tequila, tequila makes me mean, I have to say. It, it really does. Um, so uh, back to, um, I'm just, I'm sorry, Tabby. I, I, I hope I am half-ass answering your question. Um, when it comes to a professional project, uh, from planning to to publishing, depending on the writer and the material, um you can say um, six months to a to a year, depending on the market. 
um, the material, uh, how much editing has to be done, how much research you have to do. Um, I've known writers who spend several years researching. I, unless you're writing an extremely complicated science fiction novel or a fantasy novel where you have to invent your own language, I'm looking at you, Tolkien. Um, there's no reason to spend two to three years researching. Unless you're Gina Yule. <laughs> she can spend a decade re- researching if she wants to. I'm not reading your last book, Jean. I've heard it ends badly. I like a happy ending. I'm not going to do it. But but also when you when you look at someone like Gina Yule, who has you could obviously you can see the research she's put into her materials. At a certain point, unless she drastically changes her world building, her research is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Her writing periods might get longer and longer and longer as she gets more um, involved in the uh, the structure of her world and the structure of her characters. But, th- but there comes a point with a series like um, Earth's Children where the research on, say, books six and seven wouldn't be have nearly as extreme as it was on books, say, two and three, or even book one. Um, Vanity. I'm not gonna. Um, I'm not gonna repeat that question that got asked in the chat room that I, that I answered entirely too honestly because um, it doesn't need to be put on my podcast. Um, there are two kinds of storytellers. There are um, verbose long-winded storytellers and there are storytellers that are concise um, and maybe even Spartan in their storytelling Um, but there comes a point when and I'm going to say it's around 150, 175k when you're no longer writing a novel you're writing two novels and putting them together Because the structure of the novel, while it is flexible, it should not be breakable. And uh, you see that happen a lot with popular writers. Where they, they, um, you can look at even the Harry Potter books, and you can see the trend, the transition on her word count, where she went from a very concise um, story to um, a really indulgent book seven. Book seven was really indulgent when it comes to storytelling. Um, it had a huge word count. Uh, it it was indulgent. Let's put it that way. Um, and that's not something that I think that you can do professionally unless you're on that financial level. Because you have to keep in mind that um, that a book that's say a hundred k is going to be cheaper to put into print than a book that is three hundred k. George, 
or 400k George but and they're not going to do that for a new writer but someone like J.K. Rowling could put out a 400k novel and I'm like okay Joanne bring it on bring it on Joanne give me the book I'm ready for Harry Potter point to oh bring it bring it Joanne but they're not going to say that to a to the average everyday writer. They're not going to say, okay, yeah, we'll publish your 100K novel. They're not going to do it. I mean, your 400K novel. They're just going to be like, ha, 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 that's actually like four books, and you need to go do some editing. <laughs> and let me know when you and, – and bring it back when you're done. <laughs> I'm going to put Jillian on the spot. I'm going to make her say that. <laughs> Hold on. She just said something really outrageous in the chat room. You're going to get me in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Do not send Julie any emails. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, What I said was that when I see it's like a 750,000 word fanfic, my my go-to assumption is, Oh, I wonder what's wrong with that. <laughs> and it may not be anything wrong. It may just be that they've run three novels together or something. But um, I just, that's my default assumption is that there's a problem with a story that's 750,000 words or more. I mean, there's two million word stories out there. And that's just, yeah. you know, I just, my craft curls up in a ball and goes, What? Well, I think that when it comes to fandom and fan fiction, that a lot of times, um, and I'm guilty of this, I am completely, utterly guilty of this, so I don't want you to think I'm criticizing you if you've got a giant project out there because you don't need to go any further than my site to find a giant-ass project. Um, But one of the reasons why I split my works um, into novellas um, is because otherwise, I mean... (laughs) You'd never finish. You'd never well, not only that, not never finish, but it, it, it's arduous maintaining. Well, I can't. I, I mean, can't maintain the structure of a novel that long. Ties it bind is four hundred and two thousand words total, but it is told over nineteen stories novellas. Um, Sentinels of Atlantis is 259,000 words, but it is told over, I think, like 30 episodes? 20 episodes and two um, interludes. Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is 386,000 words, but it is told over a 30-episode arc. And one of the reasons why I do arcs like that is just because it creates, um, number one, it's easier to manage your plot points if you break them down into episodes, especially when you have that kind of story that you want to tell. Um, but I also understand that desire not to let go of a project and you just keep writing on it and writing on it and writing on it and writing on it. And writing on it and write. You just can't stop yourself. Mm-hmm. Because if I had my way, I'd probably still be writing Courting Hermione Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> But I had a plot, and I made myself stick with it, because um, it was just like, you know. Uh, 
I have read Bleak House. I do not recommend it. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I've read War and Peace. Ugh. But, when know, something gets to, when something gets to hit to something somewhere around two hundred thousand words, I don't know why for me that's where it kind of starts to break. Um, as a single work, um, I just start the structure just starts getting wobbly on me. And and the thing is, I from in my in reading when I read other people's novels, somewhere up to that quarter of a million word mark. Um, some authors can hold together, but more often than not, when I read really long works, is that somewhere in around two to 300,000 words, I start to feel like I'm in an and-then. Now, some people hit the and-then moment way sooner than that, but even stories oh, yeah. that I find that are really engaging and pulling me along, if they're half a million words, they're somewhere in the middle, we start feeling like we're at and-then. And... And that's you know, and I I hit I, I like emergence was emerg, emergence's structural problems are a function of pantsing the beginning of it, and um, it's two and a half novels, <laughs> you know I, I mean, and um, and I don't mean that from a length perspective. I mean that that the story ended in the middle of the third novel, <laughs> so you know. And I've contemplated going back and and re-editing it and cleaning up the structure and making it um, short, uh, shorter novels. But on the other hand, I don't. I've also decided that I didn't know that I wanted to invest that much time and energy into something I'm basically that part's already done with. Um, when I have other things I want to actually write, so it's one of those things I kind of waffle about. But um, I mean, it's not it's not like I'm not signing people for doing it because I mean, I've, like like you said, I've done it myself. I have work, works that are longer than they need to be. I have vanity writing, and especially my longer works tend to have vanity writing in them. Um, but you know, and what I just comment on in the in the chat room is that when I see a story that long, I just assume that eventually I'm going to come into I'm going to run into that problem where I kind of go, okay, enough, you know. Did you realize I, I, that I was actually a don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there oh, there it went. Right there. <laughs> there. There it went. Goodbye. Oh, look. And it's like, action. <laughs> and then, and then the action starts to rise again, and it's like, oh, book two. <laughs> so it's just, um, now there may be, I mean, honestly, I've, I tend to avoid, I, I, it's not often, it has to be come with a really strong recommendation for me to pick up something that's over about 400,000 words. Um, of my own volition, because usually if I see something that big, especially if it's unfinished, I'm just going to turn right around and walk the other direction. Um, but even if it's finished, if it's over that, I have to have a strong recommendation from somebody who who I trust to delve into something that long, um, because I do expect to run into problems that are going to annoy the fuck out of me at about the third 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 of the way through, and um, I need that recommendation for me to kind of pull through. So to answer your <laughs> terrible. question. It sounds like I sit around picking my reading with my knickers of judgment on very tight. Which she actually does. is not far off. It's not far off. 
<laughs> she totally does. Um, to answer Tabby's question, how long does it take you from idea to on your website for a story? You know, that is so variable because some stories um, get I get I get them in my head and I it's like they're super clear and I know exactly what I want to do with it. So um, my my story for Christmas, how long was that story? How long was Vicious? I want to say Vicious was 25K, but it might have been longer than that. Um <laughs> I have an that Excel one. spreadsheet on my shelf, so I don't know that. <laughs> I do too, but it uh, isn't going to. I have to go find it to my find it. I'll get to my website faster. Um, so vicious um, popped into my head. So it's thirty thousand words. Um, I would say from inception to the time it was on. I was on eight hundred three on Christmas. I actually posted a few days before Christmas. Most of the weekend before, I guess, about three weeks. Um, and I kind of had the idea kind of percolating around in the back of my head, but I hadn't really thought about it a lot until I actually sat down to start, sit down and actually plot. Uh, and that one was one that was just, I had a lot of clarity about it. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so in my head, it was super clear. It only took me like two days to get the the world building documented and all the major plot points I needed to hit written out. And then I sat down and started writing. I think I wrote the whole thing in like four days. And um, then I did a lot of editing. So that one was super fast. But compare something comparable in size, um, which was memories, um, both of them fairly contemporary where I'm not having to do a lot of research. I did watch a lot of Ocelot videos, though. Um <laughs> Um, I did use a lot of some, I mean, I used familiar concepts in the Sentinel, Sentinel Guide world building that I've used before, but because it was a secret Santa story, I kind of changed up a lot of the terminology and stuff and structured things a little bit different and had everything run by a charitable foundation instead of run by a, um, like a governance, governing structure. Um, so I kind of, because I kind of was trying to kind of not make it so obvious that it was me, but like literally everybody knew it was me. So, you know, I... <laughs> I failed in because uh, on the on the challenge site they let people guess who had written what and most people said the only one I'm pretty sure about is the one we think I think Julie wrote so it was like okay so yeah people knew this one I I didn't do a good job of hiding it <laughs> I did an memory once and um, no one got it no one guessed me and I was like. But that's the only pick that I've got on my fanfic site. At the time, it was the only first-person work I'd ever done in fanfiction. Oh, that's a good was, hide. And, and, and it was I Spy, and no one was prepared for that to be me. And they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? I don't, I, what? But now I have two. I have I Spy and um, that Wilmer Sherlock is a serial killer. It's really interesting that both of my really because I will say that I Spy is really dark because Rodney is kind of obsessive, and then my other first person fanfic is my 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 narrator is a serial killer. I need to <laughs> I need to work on that baby. <laughs> 
Yeah, you uh it's like you get into first person and like your character <laughs> develops really serious personality disorder. But if you look at if I look at the other story, like I said, that is, is kind of close to the same size. I think it's, I think uh, Memories is like twenty two or twenty three k. Um, like I said, both contemporary NCIS stories. There's not not a ton of world building or not where I couldn't leverage world building. I had there's a little bit more world building in Vicious, which meant Vicious should have taken a lot longer, right? Vicious right. is a longer story by about eight k, and it has more world building. I couldn't entirely leverage, and I had to create some new original characters because normally. In um, Sentinel Guide world building, I just leverage characters I've created before. And Vicious, I couldn't do that because that would definitely be a dead giveaway. So Vicious should have been the much longer project, but it was actually shorter by about two-thirds. Um, memories I worked on for months. Um, but I had when you look at the content of them, when, when you look at the content of these two contemporary works, Memories is... Um, it kind of rings you out. I mean, it is an, an immense emotional journey that vicious is fun. I mean, it is fun and it is funny and you're like, hell yeah, kick their ass, you little kitten. <laughs> but memories digs deep into gives personality in a way that I have. And having read a large portion of the NCIS fandom, not the whole thing, mind you, but a large portion of it since um, this challenge started, um, that's rare. It's super rare in the NCIS fandom to see Gibbs broke down that way. Because it's always Tony. Yeah. So it's not so much about how long it takes um, the character's journey to be. um, But I've often found that when I'm writing something really stressful emotionally for the character, that the writing doesn't come as fast. Um, Yeah. That there's a lot of... um, well, and I embarked, I embarked on something very different for me, which was writing from Gibbs' point of view, entirely from his point of view. Um, because I always write from Tony's point of view, except for um, that one story, um, Death of Silence was written from Gibbs' point of view, but it was so focused on Tony that, you know, whereas Memories was a little bit more of a character study about Gibbs. And so it was a very different, it was a very different story for me. And I spent... Um, it's the story I had the most rewrites on of anything I've written. I did an alpha read on that one. You did. Yeah. You did do an alpha read on I that one. Your alpha read really it was almost done. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just it was just it took me probably three times as long to write memories. Um and that's why, you know, the question that Tavi asks is an interesting one. But it's really it's one of those things that's really hard to quantify because I think you have to look at how emotional is this going to be for me? How much is it outside my comfort zone? How much world building do I have to do that's unfamiliar to me, that, that's different from what I've done before? How many original characters do I have to bring in that I have to know really well? And the more, the more things you layer on that are outside of what you've done before and outside your comfort zone, potentially the longer the project is going to take. Um, the only story I can think of, and I have my A to Z list up in front of me, the only story I can think of that didn't go that way for me um, was If Found, Please Return. Um, and there's a lot of unfamiliar elements in that for me, but it just kind of, 
don't know, it was like story kismet. I just kind of really came together in a in the in the writing and the planning in a way that. Um, Home Law um, Coffee was the same for me. It just kind of it just went whoosh. I was like really. <laughs> Okay, because <laughs> I would write beta, write beta. <laughs> yeah, you're just cranking it out. <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah. The only thing I can think of, I mean, the the um um if found if found, please return. I mean, that was a rough trade challenge, so it's not like um. It's not like it came together super, super fast because I did write it. Um, that was last spring, right? I think that was yeah. a year ago. Exactly a year ago was that was when I did that one. Um, I don't remember how quick and I finished before the end of the month. I don't remember. I think I finished before the end of the month. But anyway, that one was. Um, but it's just that one I. The planning went super fast, and the writing was just really easy. Uh, but because it was a rough trade challenge, it was a little bit different in terms of there was some pacing going on that I would not, might not have had um, with some other projects. And some projects are just a little bit, you know, I don't know, some things just come together really, really, really well. You get a really clear vision of them in your head. And other things are more work because sometimes it's like you don't even like memories the problem with memories I need to percolate on it longer than I did um once I got the vision clear in my head the writing came clearer but I tried to write before I was really clear on it because I it, I was did have a deadline on that story and it um, caused some ambiguity yes the early the writing was was strange and uh so, you know, I I threw out a lot of uh, that early work, and the stuff I did keep got rewritten. And I was really happy with the end result, but once I got clear on it. So, you know, that's that's the piece that is really, for me, um, the hardest to quantify, is how long it takes me to get clear on the, on what I'm doing. And... And getting clear, it's not just the it's not just the plotting because I can plot the wrong story, <laughs> and then when I sit down to write it, it's just not working. So, but it's the it's you know, and I think every writer has this experience where they um, they just know it's not quite right. They don't know why. Mm-hmm. You know they. You 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 poke at it, and you, you, sometimes you try to write it anyway, and you know it's not quite right. You don't know why. You don't know what's wrong with it. And sometimes, you know, for me, it's either get um, talk it out with other writers. A lot of times is, is the solution to the problem. Just sometimes, just voicing it and answering other people's questions because people will, you know, when I sit down to talk to other writers about things and they ask me questions and I have to answer or come up with answers to those questions, sometimes that's just what the piece that's missing in my brain is that articulation. As I go, oh, because sometimes just like I get to answer the third question, I go, oh, my God, I just suddenly figured out what was wrong with this whole thing. 
And sometimes <laughs> even that doesn't help. And you ask somebody, can you please alpha read this and, and tell me what you think? And, you know, they come back with questions like, did you mean for him to come out this way? Is this what you intended to look like? Was this what you were going that, that's for? That's the problem of being as an alpha reader um, that I will, I will fully admit to, that even with Julie, who I am comfortable with, and Lady Holder, who I'm very comfortable with, and I, I know them well as writers, um, in that sometimes if I see a problem in their work, I'm like, okay, and then and there's a balance, right? Um, there's a balance when you when you interact with um, writers on a daily basis, and they're part of your um, your cohort, so to speak. It's like, okay, how do I point this out in a way that is both constructive and not offensive? Like, when you really want to ask, did you mean for your character to be a total motherfucker here? What you, what you really ask is, did you really mean for him to look like he was an intolerant person. <laughs> he comes across as a little bit of an asshole. Is, is that is that leading towards where you were planning to go or no? <laughs> because if you wanted him to be a bastard, you have fucking succeeded. But, you know, there is that line, right? I mean, because you don't want to... Um, a lot of times, if you're if you're not careful... Um, even with someone you're you're really comfortable with as a writer, um, you can push them in a direction that they really don't need to go. That that's not something that they really intended to happen. Um, so you have to be careful when, when, um, as an alpha reader how you approach um, asking these questions um, because you don't want them to go in. Um, you don't want to put them off. Or put them on a path that doesn't serve their story or them personally, because you can make somebody go down a down a road you didn't intend, and it can be very um, discouraging or or like you know, we we've all had that beta experience where you come away thinking I'll never write again. Oh my god, I'm the worst person. What the <laughs> hell? This is terrible. This is well, it's like. <laughs> I you also alpha read the early chapters of Intuitive for me, and we've talked about this before on the podcast. But you thought the pairing was Tony Gibbs, which it is now. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but you read it, and you were like, "Man, the, the sexual tension between these two, you can cut it with a knife." It's you're like, "How long before?" And I was like, "Wait, what? That's not the pairing." Because <laughs> I hadn't oh, told yes, her what the pairing was. was. I was I like, what the, I was like, what, really? <laughs> because are you serious right now? Because there's a moment when Tony and Gibbs are like millimeters away from each other, like in a scene physically. They are so close. They're sharing body heat. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, it was really good. You caught key. And actually that one, that one, because you thought it was the pairing, you didn't do that kind of careful, is it your intention to make it seem like they're about to get it on kind of question? Right. You, just, right. you just made a comment about the sexual tension. And I went, wait, what sexual tension? <laughs> Gibbs and Tony's not the pairing. And you're like, it's not? <laughs> and so <laughs> I said, i got to reread the story. <laughs> and so I took off my author blinders, which was, you know, my int- I call them intention blinders, which is like you're so focused on your intention you don't see anything else. 
as I take off my intention my intention um blinders and I I read the story and I went, "Well, shit." <laughs> <laughs> it totally was. I'm really glad I saw that before she actually got to her pairing. Or I'd have been like, "Oh my god, you bitch, you bait and switched me." <laughs> <laughs> so, what I did is I I went, "Well, at this point, I can either because I actually hadn't written I had set up for the pairing to meet, but I hadn't really written any chemistry building between them yet. And I thought, well, at this point, it's a lot easier to change the pairing and go with what's already written than to try to write out chemistry. Because so. <laughs> it is burning. It is burning in that thick. And I was like, I can't handle all this cock teasing. <laughs> we all three need to get off at this point. Yeah, it was it was sort of stunning. And that's just one of those things where it's like it's really helpful with something that is new um, or that you're uncertain about to get um, an alpha read. Cause I did a lot of research for intuitive, um, deciding what skills I was going to, which skills seemed probable to me, which ones didn't, how they worked. I did way more DNA research than I wanted to do. I understood much less of it than I actually read. And I knew it wasn't going to hold together scientifically very well. Um, but I needed to know if conceptually it still held together, even if the science kind of falls apart, which is why I asked Kira to alpha read it for me. And uh, <laughs> that was just so – I had never occurred to me that my pairing was falling apart. But one thing also about that alpha read that um... – came up up between us is that I realized that while her writing was on point that the concept itself made me deeply uncomfortable oh yeah it's awful um so when she she knows I'm not going to be on the beta (laughs) team because it made me so uncomfortable that I could not give it a good beta um it was uh I can't even I don't know what it is about it that makes me so uncomfortable. There's that loss of freedom, and mm-hmm. um, the intuitive is on EAD, right? Some of it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's that, but you know what? I think, well, I was thinking about it the other day because I, I, I wanted to click on it because, you know, I'm, I'm in my NCIS thing, um, but I didn't because it, it, it does make me deeply uncomfortable. And I realize that it boils down to the actual physical representation of their gifts. And they're being forced to wear wristbands. And all I can th- and it just it reminds me of Nazis in concentration camps. Yeah. That 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 they're being I, and I was like, "Oh God, that's what it is. And that's what that is exactly what it is." And I'll, and I'll and I'll never get past it now, which really sucks because I enjoy your work, and um, I'm pretty sure if I could get past it, um, that I would enjoy the story. But it's psychologically deeply uncomfortable. And in that vein, if you encounter that as an alpha reader or as a beta reader, you need to be honest with the writer and tell them you can't do it. Because if I did try to overlook my discomfort, I would be doing her a great disservice. Because whatever I offered her would be colored by my by my discomfort. And that's not cool. 
So you need to yeah, own she, up to your uncle's comforts. Yeah, and she talked to me, Kira talked to me about the um, her discomfort. We talked about it a little bit. And, you know, and, and it's, I can completely understand it, and I, I don't have any kind of any problem at all with that she's not going to be able to read, finish reading the story or, or be involved with it in the future because um, in a lot of ways I share her discomfort with with the story. I mean, the story the story got derailed um partway through because it took such a dark turn. It, it, it wouldn't I, I I can't say it took a dark turn because it was what I plotted, but I didn't realize the ramifications of what I had plotted until I was in the middle of writing it. And it was so it was going such a dark path and it was making me so uncomfortable and I can write it's funny I I have a higher tolerance for upsetting topics as a writer than I do as a reader. Um, so I can write things I could never read, which is kind of bizarre, but it's true. Um, then I had to replot the ending um, and make some adjustments to what happened earlier in the story to accommodate that ending um, so that I could... It was always going to go to a certain path at the end, but I needed the dip down into the darkness to not be so deep in order to be able to survive the writing of it. So, And we did brainstorm some consequences and some ramifications of your plot points early on. Yeah. And that was before, I guess that was kind of like midway between my alpha read or maybe a little bit before my alpha read or after my alpha read. Um, but I just got, the more I thought about it, the more uncomfortable I got. And it was important to, to let her know that, that I'm not going to be able to do this because it makes me... Um, you can become a liability to the writer you're working with, and you need to acknowledge that and accept it. And here's another side of that. If you tell a writer that you're doing an alpha read for or a beta read for, that their work is making you uncomfortable and you're not going to be able to work with them on it because of personal issues, really there's no reflection on her work at all. It's just my reaction to it. And that author resp- responds In a bad way, cut your losses and never speak to them again. Because if you have a writer who says, well, I don't care if you're uncomfortable, you need to fucking do this for me. They don't give a shit about your emotional well-being. You don't need this person in your life. And that's across the board in any circumstance. When you encounter someone who's doing something that makes you uncomfortable and they dismiss your discomfort and attempt to force you to continue doing what you're doing that makes you uncomfortable, then they're an asshole, and you don't need that. You don't need that asshole. No, you really don't. But also, don't expect the author to apologize to you, because they don't owe you an apology. Unless they sprung something on you, out of the blue, unexpected, they don't owe you an apology because you got uncomfortable with their work. I had someone send me something to read once, and I read the first, I don't know, a thousand words, and I emailed them back, and I said, do you have any warnings attached to this that I need to know about? Granted, this thing was about 25K. Um, there was no answer, and there was no answer. Two days go by, and I have not opened it back up since... I'd emailed and asked this because there was a tone and there was an undertone going on in the story that made me deeply uncomfortable. And I, and I wanted to know what was going to happen before. 
She wrote back eventually about a week after I wrote her. And, oh, she said, well, there's an explicit rape in it between the hero and the um, heroine. Oh, is that all? She sent me a rape fic. I, oh, my God. <laughs> I was just, are, I'd have been so upset. Are you fucking kidding me? I said, are you fucking kidding me? You had your hero rape your main character? This isn't even like, you know, one of those 1980s dubious consent, I know you want me bodice rippers. This is an actual rape. And she said, yeah. And I said, go fuck yourself. Because I called her after that email. I said, go fuck yourself. And I hung up on her and I spoke to her since. It's been about a decade. (laughs) If I can't do anything, it's hold a grudge. I'd be furious. And some people do, even in, you know, even in, in, in fan fiction, people have this attitude like that beta and alpha readers um, are somehow in a different category for warnings. Like they don't have to tell them what's going on, um, that they don't have to be sensitive to them being triggered. Um, and that's just, I mean, if if a beta writes to me and says, I try to be really clear about my warnings, and sometimes people think that they're okay with something, and then they wind up not being okay with it. Um, if they say, look, I'm just really uncomfortable, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. No, no, that's cool. Now, if they turn it around, and I've given them plenty of warning, and they turn it around and try to be, make it um, – Get ang- mad at me and tell me that I'm like they're a victim, the like, victimized I, like I victimized them. Now I'm not probably not going to be terribly gracious about that, but if they just say like <laughs> this just wound up being a little bit um, upsetting for me and I I don't think I can finish, um, I'd be like okay, no harm no foul, go for it. You know just go ahead and send me back. You know just if you if you sometimes people people beta in different ways. People read it and then beta it. Some people beta. And um, and the last person who got uncomfortable with something I wrote um, was like midway through the beta when they got uncomfortable, and they sent me back what they had done, which was great. And I still took you know thank them for their beta assistance in the in the credits and stuff for the story because they did beta half of it, um, and it was no problem. They couldn't finish, um, you know. But it's just one of those things where if someone gets uncomfortable with a story, everybody just has to kind of, you know put on their best manners and say, well, thank you for your help. It's no problem that you can't finish. Um, and respect the boundaries of the author. Don't, yeah. you go see, the thing is, I told Julie, okay, I can't do this. I never in a million years would have told her the things she would have to take out of the story for me to read it. Because that would have been fucking inappropriate. And I might be an asshole, but I'm not that kind of asshole. <laughs> I mean, everybody just has to. This is the case where as long as you're warned and you've done your warnings and stuff um, and you're not springing horrible things on people, um, some things just don't work out. You know, sometimes you just can't finish. I mean, I've worked on stories where I had to to back out um, because of, you know, um, I've had to back out of stories because they, sometimes because they weren't ready for beta. Or I just had to go back to the author and go, this is not, this isn't ready. 
for me to do this with, and here are the reasons why. And I say it very nicely. You know, I don't go, the story isn't ready, but it's like all I have at this point is pointing out to you inconsistencies and plot holes. Um, And then it would need a beta after those things are fixed. And if you want me to do that, that's fine. I can. I mean, I've got the list, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, can't. I made a list. <laughs> I made a list. <laughs> um, but it is just a funny little thing. It's like oh, when I'm doing a grammar beta for somebody, if that's what they've asked me for, is they want a grammar and punctuation beta, I don't read it first. I, um, and the reason is because you see less errors the second time through. Uh, if what you're focused on is grammar and punctuation, um, at least it's for me, and I think for a lot of people, um, once you know what it says, you, you stop seeing the problem. You, right. you supply the missing letter. You supply the comma that should be there. You ignore the comma that shouldn't be there because you know what it says now, whereas your first read-through, all of those mistakes jump out at you. So like even with if I'm doing like you know when I'm beta for Kira as tempting as it is to read the story first um, <laughs> just to enjoy it I would do the grammar beta first now sometimes I've read the story before but as long as there's like a week or so between it's fine um, but so so there's different approaches like if somebody's asking you for like a consistency and a continuity beta that's really different than doing a grammar beta so sometimes you've read the story before. Um, so if somebody asks you for a grammar beta, and I just keep in my comments keep going, you got it's it's hard to do a grammar beta when like a character's eye color keeps changing, or they wind up you know <laughs> taking off the same our article of clothing six different times. Six times. Or, you know, it's like what is, is going on? We we both said six times. Um, I think that also it's important in your process to allow for beta and alpha reading and for rough drafts and to keep that in mind, especially if you're on a deadline, um, that those things take time. And you can't hand over 50, 100K to a person and expect a beta in 24 hours. And it also depends upon how um, how error prone you are. And that's it's not just because you know, people people grow and they learn, but if you have a high error rate, that takes longer to beta than something that doesn't have a high error rate. It just does. Because if I have to make a comment or make a change every ten words, that's different than having to make a comment or a change every ten paragraphs. Right. In terms of the time, and also it gets to the point with a high error, and it's and I, you know, and I don't. This is not a judgment thing because everybody needs – people at different levels in their writing. But when I'm doing something that's got a high error rate, I have – I have I can spend less time baiting than I can something that's got a lower error rate. Because I get to the point that I burn out on seeing the mistakes, and I have to stop. So, like, I might be able to beta 30,000 words on something that's got a low error rate, Whereas I might only be able to do 5,000 words, I mean, it's got a really high error rate. And the, I think the highest error rate I ever baited was um, the average error, the average change was once every five or six words. Um, now, at this point, you're asking yourself if she's baited your work. Was that mine? No. <laughs> no. I know it wasn't mine. So all of you who are asking on this podcast, the answer is no, because it's not somebody who um, 
is a minion. So we take a deep <laughs> breath. To this podcast, it wasn't you. It really, really wasn't. So if you're if you're hearing my voice, it wasn't you. But it was it was a you know, based says, on the number of there have been people to expect a quick beta even if there's a hundred k worth of words. Um, I'll give you a piece of unsolicited advice to everybody out here who's listening. Um, if you ever get a hundred k from an author and they expect that beta back in anything less than two weeks, just hand it. Just tell them you can't do it. Like no. But a quick look or an alpha read isn't the same thing as a full beta. I mean, I can read 100K in a couple of hours if you want an alpha. But if you want me to beta that shit, that's two, three weeks, depending on my schedule, because I'm not living for somebody. <laughs> that's right. I'm not living to beta your work, you know? The thing is, though, is that, you know... Um, it's just I don't I don't but if you ever encounter that just don't even just just tell them no just say fuck no depending on who they are <laughs> say fuck you and move on but that's just ridiculous that is absolutely ridiculous for anybody to expect a turnaround like that um one thing I have a problem with and this actually became an issue with me and Jilly um is I never want to ask somebody how the beta is going, right? So, Jilly had something for me. I thought she had it from me to beta. <laughs> and I kept waiting and kept waiting, and it was just 10K, and I thought, well, okay, maybe she's got something going on with one of these challenges. So I asked her, I said, so where am I on your beta schedule? And she said, well, you'd be first. And I said, well, where's my story? <laughs> I said, well, when are you going to get it to me? <laughs> I thought she had it. She thought I was still working on it. So that comes <laughs> up, you know, and you, and you think, because the thing is, you don't want to harass somebody who's doing a beta for you, right? So I'm like, I'm waiting, and I'm, and I would probably still be waiting if I hadn't asked her what else she had going on in front of my beta. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things that you are. I, I know every, almost everybody is hesitant to poke their beta and go, "What's going on?" Hello. Um. Yeah, it, it's 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 one of those. It's a, it's an uncomfortable thing because you 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 don't want to harass the beta, but. On the other hand, they may not they might not have gotten it or um in this situation I thought she was still I knew she had written most of this thing, but I thought she was making changes. So <laughs> just, I was sitting there going, How long is it gonna take her to finish fixing that? Is what I was thinking. <laughs> she only had to thinking, fix one scene. <laughs> I'm thinking, how many cows are in front of me? <laughs> Not that I'm calling other people she made us for cows. They were just in front of me. <laughs> so Sarah asked, um, have you ever got something back from bed and go, no, not making that change? All the time. Absolutely, because in, in the end, it's yours. Yeah, I reject, I reject, and it's not anything that usually the, 
a lot of times the beta is not wrong, although sometimes I have gotten um, corrections back from people that are not correct. Um, or yeah, because I'll put I a comma some... in if I'm like, I'll put, okay, that probably needs a comma, and I'll put it in. <laughs> Track changes. If you don't like it, say no. <laughs> That's right. And I do just, I, I do find commas are the thing I'm most likely to disagree with people on, although I have done a reversal about Oxford commas recently, but that's a whole different story. Um, but, like, um, Wait, what's your reversal? Are you pro or anti-Oxford comma? I'm pro now, and I've been anti-Oxford comma for years. But there you go. Um, I'm that's my own work. about it. So, anyways. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that's so, like, um, I and I'm fine with this. I put deliberate grammatical problems in dialogue. And I'm fine with the fact that my beta is correct. That, gram, that that change, but I always, almost always reject it because it's deliberate. I wouldn't want them to not make the correction because if it's not deliberate, it's good that they caught it. Right. But they have to know that I'm not going to, you know, and sometimes we just don't agree on matters of style, you know. Um, the other side so, of it is this is not an opportunity to start an argument with somebody. Um, <clears throat> when I get my beta back, um depending on how the beta is going to work, you know, whether a lady holder's gotten it before Jilly or vice versa. Um, and um, I go through it. Um, and what's one thing really interesting about um, the way I beta with different people is that Chris and lady holder, I tend to put their beta on one. Like I'll get lady holder's beta and I'll send that beta to Chris and let her add to it. Whereas when it comes to Jilly and lady holder, I'll get their beta make all the changes, and then send the new copy to the second beta. And I don't know why I do that. I have no idea. But the end result is, is that neither I don't go back to either one of them with an argument about something that they put in. Either I fix it, I don't agree with them, and I move on. I mean, there, there's no going back to argue. But sometimes I might have a question, okay, what do you mean by this, and what does this mean exactly? But I'm not Sometimes it's, it's not a matter of um, going to argue a point or argue a comma. That is, no, I mean, you argue commas with an editor that you're being that's being paid to put up with you. You don't argue commas with a beta. Yeah, now, sometimes like, my beta asks me. I'm putting links in my beta. I, I admit that. Yeah. I, I, th- I think I only baited in. Um, I think I only one time have baited in the copy that Lady Holder had done first. Or her comments were there. <laughs> and I would put comments under some of her changes and go, I don't know that I agree with this. <laughs> Which could be why I, I thought putting you guys together. <laughs> <laughs> Although there was a really funny time with, with Lady Holder and Chris where Chris had done the beta first and she'd gone through and said, okay, you need to put sex here and sex here, and sex here. And every time, Lady Holder went behind her and went, yep, that would be a good time for a blowjob, or you could have some anal sex right here. I mean, she was, like, on it. She was like, that could also be the same beta that she put a link to the YouTube video of the opening of the pilot episode of Stargate Atlantis. (laughs) Instead of just telling me that I had the number wrong... She gave me a fucking video link. 
Yes, I know. I had the number wrong. It would have been easy to fix, but I got a video instead. <laughs> she wanted to let you verify. Now, I do sometimes <laughs> get a question from my beta where they don't understand something that I've written or whatever, or something is like, what is this, or um, something like that. And so I will go back and have that discussion with them. It's sort of like, well, this is this, and this is what I meant. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. Um, but unless there's a specific question on one side or the other, um, there's there's just not any kind of I, I don't I don't feel the need to say um, um, right back and go I rejected this change because that's just a bizarre <laughs> conversation to have. <laughs> yeah, who cares? But like, and if they come back to you, if, all together, you know. If they come back to you. Um, after you publish and say you didn't accept some of my changes, I'd be like, whoa, dude. <laughs> you, you, you've gone what too is far. wrong with you? I don't have to. You get that the end result is mine, right? That this is my product at the end. For serious. Um, but what was I going to say? I was going to say something. Oh, here's something that I do in a beta that um, – that's a little different than what you just described. If someone asks me a question about something in my narrative, um, I have to assume that I need to address that in my narrative because if they're asking it there five, six weeks from now when this thing is on my website, I'm going to get comments when people ask me about it. And I don't want those fucking comments, so I'm going to fix it <laughs> so I don't get that question again. Because <laughs> I don't want that question again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to so, hear you know, this. <laughs> I don't want to fuck that. Now fuck that question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this so there's no question because I don't want the question. Because if your beta asked it, somebody else is gonna ask it. I, I have in the past um, told someone um, because they did not um, listen to me that I did not want credit or any sort of acknowledgement whatsoever in relation to the project. I had a um, pro-author friend who um, wrote a book, and I found several, and I do mean several, points in her story highly objectionable. Um, And I told her at the end, um, when she did not fix the parts that I found very objectionable that um i would like that i insisted that she change the dedication of her book to take my name out because i did not want to be associated with the project and i still to this day do not want to be associated with the project can't. Yeah, you're like no, no, please don't. And it don't. wasn't grammar. I mean, her grammar was atrocious, but that's but that's what editors are for. Um, and it wasn't. Um, it was. I can't actually discuss it because it would um, probably Reveal? get too much information. Yeah, it. There were some elements of it that um, were profoundly stereotypically racist. And let's just leave it at that. Um, and um, and it wasn't done in a way to highlight it as a bad thing. 
Oh. <laughs> I didn't, like, no, I don't want my name my on name this. Out of it, but I have never been asked to ever have anything to do with any other of her work. She she doesn't even bring it up to me. Uh, she doesn't even let me see um, concepts or anything. We just do not have that kind of relationship anymore. Because I found it so fucking offensive. Did it sell well? It did sell to a New York publisher. Um, I don't know that on the numbers. She's a mid-list, so I'm sure it mid-listed. So um, she probably made 20 or 30 k on it. I have a couple of times asked to be taken off of beta credit um, for various reasons. It doesn't happen very often. Now, I, what, one of the things that I think actually is interesting um, that I worked on a project. This is this is this is many 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 moons ago. Um, I mean, I labored over this person's beta, and there was I was baiting for them as they wrote. So like they'd finish a chapter and send it to me, and finish a chapter and send it to me, as opposed to finishing the story and sending it to me. Um, I don't. I'm worried about work face. With, <laughs> I don't work with. That's how. That's a whip writer's beta, right? Is they write a chapter and get it betaed. Um, and I worked with whip writers more than I do now back then. And um, so she 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 writes a story, uh, writes a chapter. I I beta it. She posts it, and um, and then she kind of stalled out, like. Two chapters from the end, I think it was a fairly long story. I think in fact, two chapters from the end, she stalled out, and um, I didn't hear from her. I poked her. I poked her once. I asked her how that you know, not not to say when's the next chapter coming, but I did. You know, how everything is going. You know, I did ask her if she's going to need any beta help, and she wrote back and she said no. You know, I'm, I'm kind of off writing right now. I need to take a break. Da, da, da. Well, since I came up in my life, um, I would guess I probably beta ninety, hundred thousand words for her, and um, since I came up in my life where I dropped out of fandom for a while, like, you know, maybe two years or something like that. And like broken bones, health problems, job change, moving. I mean, it was like the whole kit and caboodle of life changes happened in that time period. And when I came back and I checked my fandom account and found an email from her where she just sent me the last two chapters of the story, and I'd never gotten back to her because I, you know, and I'd left a note on my life journal that I was out of fandom. Well, what she she was so annoyed, I guess, or I don't know. I, she was so irritated about me, you know, not responding after, you know, she dropped back into my life after, a, you know, more than a year of silence, and then she didn't hear back from me for a very long time. Um, she took she she took my the credit for me betaing her story completely off the entire thing. Wow! But since I didn't finish it, she wasn't going to credit me for betaing her work. Okay. And that was. That was the last email I got from her was that, uh, yeah, since you didn't finish the work, I removed the beta credit from the story. I was like, oh, <laughs> let me see if I can find two birds for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, they're on my hands. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, sometimes somebody, you know, even that, that was an extreme case of where I had no idea that story was ever going to get finished. As far as I knew, it was abandoned because uh, I hadn't heard from her in a long time. And the email she eventually sent me was well over a year after our last communication. And there had been no communication from her in that time period. And I had left a note on my live journal that I was um, not going to be logging in for a while because I had a lot of stuff to do. And so it wasn't like I just vanished with no word. I told people that I was having a lot of issues. Um, and people once people after that point, though, people didn't hear back from me if they tried to poke me because I just couldn't deal with 
fandom at that time. Um, but it's, from my perspective, you know, I think if somebody baited one chapter for me, and that's all they could do, then I still credit them as having assisted me with my work. Um, that's just that's just what you do. It's you the know, polite thing to do. That's the way it goes. You just don't go, oh, I'm sorry, if you're not in it for the entire 250,000-word haul with me, fuck you very much. It just doesn't go that way. Because, you know, you can't I – mean, fandom, fandom is a volunteer opportunity. You know, this is volunteers only. No one gets paid for this stuff. And sometimes somebody has a week of their life to spend laboring over your work, and that is a gift. And they may not have another week or another story, but they had that thing, and they just gave it to you just just because out of the kindness of their heart to support you. And you need to um, you need to acknowledge that, not be cunty about it. And speaking of fandom, I have a public service announcement because this has come up at least four times in the last month. You cannot make money on fan fiction. Stop it. I, I seriously. It's a bad idea. You're, you're going to get us all sued. You are. You're, you're going you're to. You're, all of our toys are going to get taken away because the few idiots who go, you know, I was reading a story and all of a sudden there's all these Patreon links about support the story on Patreon and I was like, I almost had a stroke. And I was like, no, you can't support this story on Patreon. What the hell? Are you? I hope nobody did. Of course, I go check it out. And there's this, you know, and, I, and I've seen several of these, so I'm not singling anybody out. And there's this whole thing about this woman talking about how based upon her feedback and private conversations she's had with people, that her work is better written than many things that are actually published. And she's tired of not making money on the stuff that she labors so hard over and that people clearly appreciate. And um, that she's hoping that a bunch of people will sponsor her and they'll get all of these perks. They'll get, you know, um, I don't know, the chapters a month, a week ahead, a week ahead of anybody else in their email or something like that. And that if she gets to a certain level of support where she can quit her part-time job, that she'll commit to um, two chapters a month and just all of this you know level commitments it was like a, it was like a kickstarter for fan fiction and I see more than one person i see more than one person do this but the thing is people you can't do it you can't do it you can't make money on fan fiction this is not the same thing as site fees or whatever like archive archive of our own is a non-profit and they are trying to raise money right now to um pay maintain their, their fucking infrastructure site. Because that's right. I mean, they they have a huge amount they have a huge IT bill you know they do and they sometimes have a they huge have to pay their developers yeah. so paying someone's overhead for their site or an archive site or whatever that is or like fanfiction.net having advertisers to help pay for their that is not the same thing as making money on the fiction and that is what these authors who are ta- who who are getting these Patreon accounts and stuff are saying, pay me to write fan fiction. And you can't do that. You can't do it. People, stop it. I don't want my toys taken away. So quit it. Bad. It's a bad idea. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't take any kind of donations to maintain my site until it got um, to the point where I had no choice. Um, 
And um, even then, every penny, every single penny I get donated goes back into, which is why Rough Trade developed the way it did, and that's why Wild Hair Project popped up, because I got donations, and I'm like, oh, well, I can do this now. (laughs) (laughs) We pulled the wild hair out of our ass one night, literally, (laughs) figuratively, on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's because of donations that that happen, that the chat room happened, that this podcast happens because this this is not free. <laughs> um, and so I don't make any money here, you know. And and in and the more money I get, the more I spend on various things for you know I get plugins and um I get updates on plugins and I have to get support on plugins and um I pay for support to get things to work just the way that I want them to do like with the posting modules and um stuff like that. So um it just be careful. Just be super careful. Yeah, if you if you need if you have a website or you're doing an endeavor that needs financial support, as long as it's not for the writing, you can ask for you know I don't I have no interest I don't care about your Kickstarters your GoFundMe I don't care about, I don't care as long as you are not positioning it as being for you to write this story for you to write fan fiction and when the bonuses and the perks you're giving people are fan fiction they're paying you to write fan fiction and you can't do that. Well, obviously you can do it, but it's bad and wrong, and you're going to get us all sued. <laughs> That's right, because you are the 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 fair use that the fair use clause in the law that allows people to um, write fan fiction, um, as long as they don't make money off of it, you completely break it. You're completely breaking the every the whole system falls apart when you make money off of um, fan fiction. So. I just, I've seen this so much lately that I just I was like you know people someone's got to say you can't do this you can't make money on fan fiction I mean you, yeah of course you can but you shouldn't you put your hobby in jeopardy you put everybody's hobby in jeopardy and it's just not good and that whole Jane Austen thing see the thing is about Jane Austen is public domain um, and anything published after 1932 is not in the public domain period. In our lifetimes, it will not be in the public domain because the copyright is your lifetime plus 70 years. Um, Jane Austen was published before 1932 when the copyright law was changed to protect the rights of authors. That work is public domain. And therefore, you can write Jane Austen fan fiction, um, and it's perfectly okay Uh because it is in the public domain and it's available for your use. But anything published after 1932, I believe, I believe it is, um, is actionable intellectual property and you could get sued. Now, we know from history in fandom that suing fans for writing fan fiction doesn't work out well for the intellectual property holder. But if that but ask those fan fiction writer but, is making money, that could go differently. But ask those fan fiction writers that got sued how much it cost them to get sued. Mm-hmm. 
Because when you get sued, you have to get a lawyer. You don't have a choice. You have to get a lawyer. The only reason that they didn't, that it worked out the way it did, is because they did get a lawyer. Ask them how much it cost them. And if you have that kind of money in the bank, quite frankly, I could use a vacation. Because <laughs> I don't have that money in the bank. Yeah, you get sued by a franchise, you are fucked. You are fucked. So, so stop. Stop being a jerk face. And stop contributing to fanzines that charge people 40 bucks to download a fucking PDF. Oh, zines. Oh. I'm going to make a fanzine and sell it for free. <laughs> just, to, just to fuck with people. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make a fanzine and, and, and give it away for free. Do you like to make cover art? It'll be beautiful. Yeah. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be free. <laughs> As it fucking should be. It's just ridiculous. It is it is just a really, really bad idea. We got a, a minute and 47 seconds left. The, well, ebooks are individual projects. A, a fanzine would be like multiple authors. It'd be like an anthology. Like an anthology of... Sentinel stories in Stargate Universe or something from 15 different authors. Great. Now we've got an idea. (laughs) (laughs) Snowballing. (laughs) She's just coming a mile away. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. We're waiting. All right. There you go. And they do charge, I mean, even for the download, and there is no reason whatsoever to charge for a download of a fucking fanzine. Absolutely none. Except for to make money. That's right. 47 seconds. You guys have a great weekend, and we'll catch you later. Say goodnight, Joey. Good night. Shut up and sit down.